Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This is a story about a couple of data nerds who were playing around with the Twitter and Foursquare APIs one day. They discovered that there was a lot of social media data about people who were looking to buy something. So they decided to build a product and sell these signals to automotive brands. It seemed like a winning idea, but soon they realized that it wasn't. First, they weren't solving a customer problem. They were trying to find a market for a cool idea, and that is never easy to do. Second, they didn't understand how automotive brands work. Ford isn't going to have a salesperson call you because of your tweet. After a year of getting nowhere, they pivoted. They started selling data to help consumer brands run better advertising campaigns. They started to get customers and revenue, but their product wasn't sticky, so revenue was unpredictable and customer churn was high. After two more years, they decided to pivot again, but this time, they interviewed many customers and kept searching for a real problem. They didn't write a single line of code until they were confident that they'd found the right problem. And that approach paid off. Today, they have a business that generates recurring revenue and they're very close to hitting a million dollars a year. This is a great story about persistence and there are some valuable lessons on the importance of understanding your market. So I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, if you need help building, launching, or growing your software business, then check out SaaS Club. It's a premium membership site that I launched to help you get the insights, the motivation, and support you need to succeed. Registration for new members is closed right now. I'm working with a group of founding members, but you can join the waitlist and I'll let you know when I start accepting new members again. Just go to sasclub.co. Uh, you can learn more there and join the waitlist. Also, if you haven't grabbed a copy of my free productivity toolkit, you can do so by going to thesaspodcast.com. The toolkit will teach you the habits, hacks, and tools used by successful founders and entrepreneurs. Okay, let's get on with the interview. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of LeadSift, a platform that mines publicly available social media data to help B2B businesses generate qualified leads. LeadSift was founded in 2012 and to date has raised $1.8 million in funding. The company is based in Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada. And so today I'd like to welcome Tukan Das. Tukan, welcome to the show. Hey, Omar. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you. I, I, I kind of wanted to ask you about Nova Scotia because I've never met anybody from Nova Scotia. And it always kind of like, whenever I've seen it in movies, it always seems like this, you know, there's a cliff and a lighthouse and not many people around. But it's not really like that, right? Which is which is pretty accurate. There, there are a lot of lighthouses. There are a lot of cliffs. And it's, we're right on the ocean, right? So so that's, that's a pretty fairly accurate uh, description. Uh, but uh, it's a beautiful place. It's, uh, it's small and um, really pretty especially summer and fall months are, are spectacular. People are super friendly. Winter months are a little rough, um, nothing crazy. And um, yeah, it's a 
it's a good, it's a great great place to visit especially for for summer and fall months so let's get inside your head a little bit so what gets you out of bed to work on your business every day do you have a favorite quote or you know tell us yeah. in your own words i mean the the reason what what motivates me to get out of bed and and you know get cranking would be the whole idea of uh, of the, the 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 vision that we had for for Leadship when me and my co-founders we started the business it was around mining unstructured data I would say I should add vast amounts of unstructured data to find meaningful information like that was the whole thesis or genesis of us starting this 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 product um, or this business um, and the fact that we are still doing that and in in mining data to find in, in important in pieces of information that businesses can use um, to help you know grow their revenue improve their customer service or improve their product um, I think that's what motivates us um, all our co-founder and that's what gets me out of the out of the bed uh, in terms of quotes um, you know I'm a big sucker for reading up a lot of entrepreneurship books and, and blogs and I get a hear a lot of quotes but um, one that particularly stuck with me and it's not from an entrepreneur but from this professor called Randy Pausch, who wrote this book last lecture, um, he said this uh, something like, "We cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand." Um, and I think that would be probably my my most favorite quote. So, for for people who aren't familiar, can you just explain uh, what you mean by unstructured data? And yeah. secondly, why did you guys get so excited about that idea of mining yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should I should have described it a little bit more. By unstructured data, I mean um, anything that is not put in a in a specific set format. Like there is no well defined format. So, for example, um, let's say you're you're reading Twitter. It's pretty unstructured because there is there's no special formatting. It's only 140 characters, so anyone can type anything in any way, or Facebook, or a blog post, or someone commenting on a forum or someone writing something on Wikipedia or, or, or anything on the web for that matter. It's all unstructured. It is not, it's not something like an XML or, or JSON format or, or any of those specific formats. It's like free, free text, right? Anyone can write anything in any way. There is no fixed notion of spelling, grammar, uh, symbols, it's just anything. So that's, that's what unstructured data uh, means um, so that's that's what we mean by unstructured and the reason it got us excited what why it got that particular thing got us excited was um, our backgrounds myself and and my co-founders backgrounds are all in computer science and more specifically in information retrieval and and natural language processing so as as sort of data nerds uh, we love mining and wrangling with data and whenever we r play with data it is typically unstructured data that's where the I guess excitement or the fun comes is, you know, you see a, a stream of unstructured data coming in. Can you make sense of it? And that making sense could be in, in figuring out the sentiment, figuring out certain political or, or, or business trends, in figuring out fraud, in figuring out spam, in figuring out buying intent. Um, it could be anything, but but that's that's what what excites anybody was doing any kind of you know data mining data science so that that's the reason we got excited with that so tell me about how you came up with the idea for lead well actually before we get into talking about the idea tell just i, I kind of gave a little overview of it but just you know tell us in your own words what what does the product do and who are you trying to solve a, a problem for yeah 
So the product is, it is a sales intelligence platform that helps B2B software companies identify target accounts and prospects to go after, not based on, uh, you know, demographics or firmographic data, but more based on signals of intent and interest. So that's, that's really what the product does. What that means is basically, if you are selling a B2B software where you have a sales team that is, you know, prospecting or reaching out to people, our software, if you use our software, you get a list of target accounts delivered directly into your CRM or your marketing automation every day saying, these are the top 20 accounts that you should be prospecting because in the last 24 hours, they were showing some signals of intent or interest. So that's, that's really what the product does. For now, we are focusing very much towards the B2B SaaS market in North America and UK. Um, and typically we are selling into marketers who are basically trying to find um, qualified leads to, to nurture or pass on to their sales team to prospect so that they don't spend time researching and doing, you know, figuring out who to talk to when. It's basically an automated stream that comes in every day in the morning saying, hey, these are the accounts that you should go after. And you just basically prospect into those accounts. So that's, that's, that's really who, who you're serving. And, and so how would a, what does a customer need to do to, to kind of get set up? Like what, what information do they need to provide you before you can start giving them the, that sort of information? Yeah, that's actually a good question. So the way we figure out a signal of intent in a B2B setting is actually based on how people are, certain prospects are talking to their competitors, uh, complementary technologies, or even, you know, industry news or industry event. So that's how we figure out, you know, who's potentially in market. So for anyone to use our system, our system takes three pieces of input. First is they have to enter a list of their competitors or basically players in the ecosystem that, you, that, that they want to monitor and track. And if anyone, anytime they see someone talking to them, that's a signal for them to go after. Um, the second information that they would have to enter is a list of key industry terms, content topics, or even you know industry events that they want to monitor um, and see who's showing interest about those topics or events that they want to get in front of. And the third thing is they define their buyer persona in the sense they would say, you know, you know, do you want to go after marketers? Do you want to go to salespeople or HR people within certain industries or, or off certain company sites? So they define that. And once they ha- we have that information, we basically crawl the web, pick up these signals, filter out the noise that don't match their buyer persona and keep the ones that match their buyer persona and send that information over to them every day. Got it. Okay. So let's let's talk about kind of the, this, the beginning here. And so where did the idea for this business come from? Yeah, so the idea came from, you know, me and my, one of my co-founders, we were playing around. And and, and back at that time, you know, I, I believe Twitter had opened up their API, a couple of Foursquare had their API. So we were just pulling in the data for, from their API for free, and we were just using it for, for trend identification, I believe. That's what we were doing, just for fun, right? And, um, and then one day it stuck us as, you know, there's so much information about people looking to buy things that they were expressing directly or indirectly from these public forums or public social networks that we thought if we could figure this out by what this person is saying publicly, this could be a great, you know, potential target lead or opportunity for, for a business to sell to these people. Um, so that's, that's where really the idea came from. 
initially our focus was when we first started the business in 2012 around November, uh, the, the, the idea was very much around um, helping a car company or um, a phone manufacturer identify people that were in market for a new car or a new phone or a new credit card or, or a new you know, house loan or whatever. Uh, it was very much towards the consumer facing side of businesses. So that's, that's how the idea started. Okay. So you're playing, you're playing around with the API as, you know, good developers do. <laughs> and, you know, so this, this spark of this idea is born. Um, yeah. did, did you start to look in the market and, and see if there were already companies out there doing this type of, uh, solving this type of problem? Uh, yes, yes, we, we no, I would say I would, yes and no. We didn't look, do an exhaustive search there. Um, it was, it was very much like we, we did talk to a lot of customers and, uh, but we didn't do a lot of detailed search. What we found was the way businesses use, uh, you know, mine intent to, to reach out to people is actually, uh, through Google. That's, that's, that's where intent is sort of fulfilled. If you may Google, if you look at it, it is an intent fulfillment engine where basically if you need a new product, you go to Google and you search for it and, and Google suggests results mixed with sponsored or paid ads that, that you click and you, you get there. So from a business's perspective, businesses always want to bid for keyword like a car or a phone. So anytime someone's searching for it, their, their data is shown, their ad is shown, which is fulfilling the intent that the consumer might have had. But what we found was intent was not generated on, or on, 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 on Google. Intent was generated on, you know, when people are having conversations, intent was generated on people talking about in a blog or a social, social network. That's where intent was generated. And there was no easy way to fulfill that intent. People would go to Google to fulfill it by typing in a result, but there was no one who was capturing that intent on these platforms uh, back then. So that's, that's, that's what we found out actually. Okay. And, and so how, how did you guys get started in, in terms of uh, building, building the product and were you still sort of at the stage of let's just play around and see where this goes or when you sort of came up with that idea you you were kind of you know you already had the intent you know let's kind of figure out how to make this into a business yeah so we 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 really didn't have an idea of building making it into a business what we did was in halifax there is this thing event that happens every year it's called a demo camp so where where basically local startups um you know once a year go up and get a five minute pitch the only thing is you have to have a real working demo you cannot just go with a powerpoint so we we hacked something together where we were showing how we could help local businesses in, in Halifax sell more pizza or more cars or something based on conversations or signals we were picking up within Halifax from people looking to buy a car or a new phone or asking for pizza, for example. Um, so we did the demo there and then uh, just, just to show off what we had built without thinking of the future too much of building a business. But then what happened after the demo came was there were a few people that actually came up and said, is this functional? Because you know, I have a you know search engine optimization company, and I can use some leads of people looking for a new needing an SEO consultancy or something like that. So that's when we thought, you know, what we built for a fun hack project actually has real implications to businesses. Um, that's when we started thinking about it. Then what we did was we were all working at that time uh, at other jobs. Uh, we were doing it on the evening and weekend, um, part time sort of. We went through a 
an accelerator program here in Atlantic Canada, where basically they help. It's not an it's not like Y Combinator or anything. There's no funding. There's no equity. Basically, go through it. It helps you become investor ready. Uh, so once we went through it, we did a lot of customer discovery, customer development, market research, and things like that. And we started to form up the idea. We came up with the name and and all those things. And that's when we thought, you know, there might be something there. It might be actually a big business. And um, and then in 2012, I believe around August, we quit our jobs. We didn't have any funding or anything. We just said, you know, I think we should go for it. I think there is is interest, and I think there's a big market because you know, any business that you talk to, the number one thing that they need is uh, as leads. So if you can solve that in a in a meaningful and scalable scalable way, you have something powerful. So that's 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 how we started the business, and and fortunately. Right around that time, we we, we secured um, some venture capital financing, and and that's how we got started. Uh, so I, I assume there weren't any issues with with building the product, right? So that that was one area of strength for you guys having all technical co-founders. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But what about uh, in terms of going out and finding customers? Like who who was doing that? Yeah. No. Definitely. So this is something that I found is product is. Again, this is my take on it. Building a product is more than you know building a technology. Um, I think product ha- needs to have a technology which needs to work, uh, but product is more th- more than that. It needs to be you know a simple way to access and use the technology, uh, positioning it, marketing it. That that all of that involves a product. Um, so we were very good at building the technology. We didn't never we didn't have any problem in writing those machine learning algorithms to pick up on intense signals, hosting another web server, putting an interface and everything. But um, but we, 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 I think we struggled with product and which, which, which included actually getting customers feedback and, and iterating on it. So the way we decided to go to market was right after we raised capital, um, one of the first things that we told our investors were, we now need you know, a, a salesperson. Um, and the reason being, you know, while we have this idea and an MVP, a salesperson can go sell it. Um, and while we go back and, and write, write code uh, back to our comfort zone. So that's how we decided. We said uh, we didn't really understand too much of, you know, the marketing funnel, the sales funnel, the whole sales process. We said, let's get a, you know, salesperson, senior, you know, experienced salesperson who just go sell it. So that's that's how we decided to go about selling the product, we thought the sales, you know, our, and all, all, all you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but we thought, you know, salespersons typically have a Rolodex and they can sell to them and, or they can reach out to people or people will come know of us and it'll, it'll just work. Like one of the big things product people or, or tech people always think is, you know, if you build, they will come. Uh, that's, that's so not true. And that's, that, I think we, we, we suffered from that problem. We thought, you know, we built it and now they're going to come. So, so did you hire a salesperson? Yes, we did. And, and how did that work out? Uh, th- that, that didn't work out very well. And the reason that that didn't work out very well was, is this, our product was not what mature hell. I mean, there wasn't a very well-defined product. It was a glorified MVP and um, where we, we wanted or expected the salesperson to just go sell it which is, and, and sell to, and, and even that, we were selling to large enterprises. So we were going after the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies and the big agencies uh, with this half-baked product, which is just an iteration on an idea and uh, without really testing the market and you know 
when you hire a salesperson, you'd have traditional compensation model and, and all those things. But it just, that doesn't work because you're, you forget product market fit. You don't even have a proper product. You, you have an idea that you're built on. So, so that, that, that did not work out very well. And that, that created some challenges because, um, and, and no, no discredit to the salesperson. I think the, even the best salesperson cannot sell it because the product is not there sellable. What we needed to do rather was we should have done a more closed loop iteration where we would, you know, one of us, myself being the CEO probably should have done more customer discovery you know, had a very bare bone product with, to, with smaller customers, not like a Ford, but a local dealership and, and iterated on that. And then from there on expanded on it, but we just went straight after these, these giants and, and that, that was a challenge. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How, how did you go from helping to sell more pizza in Halifax to a Fortune <laughs> yeah. 500? So, so we, we did some customer discovery. What we found out was we, 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 we initially arrived at the demo cam days. We thought it would be helpful for local businesses, right? So we, we went and spoke to, I don't know, dozens of local businesses around Nova Scotia. And what we found out was, well, the, A, they were not savvy enough. They didn't, they were not on, on social networks. They were not doing, you know, social selling or anything like that. And so that was a challenge. So they didn't know how to nurture or do any of those things. B, uh, they said you know, they would not be able to pay more than $19 a month. Some would say 19 is even too much. 9.99 is something that I'll pay nine bucks. Uh, and we quickly realized that's not the market that we could build uh, and, and scale out. We would, it, it would be a completely different value proposition. So we said, all right, if, if we cannot sell to a local car dealership or a local, you know, pizza store, for example, how about we go to the, to the brands themselves? So rather than going to a local dealership, let's go to Chrysler, for example, or, or, or a Ford or a Jaguar or whoever, and sell to them, to the direct VPs of marketing, director of social or brands um, at these organizations. And that's what we tried to do. Okay, so what did, um, the, in terms of the first year of, of having the product out there, having this salesperson where you're not really kind of getting the results you hope for, where were you by the end of the first year? In, in terms of, you know, customers and, and sort of evolution of the product? So end of the first year, we had about five customers, one of them being one of the largest electronic manufacturer. They were using us for, for, for selling their new phone, um, you know, engaging with people, and they were very happy. But obviously five customers in a year is, is, is not a lot. And, um, and, and the sales cycle was, was brutal. Um, because we would go to these large brands and what we found out was um, 95% of these brands used to, you know, move us, direct us over to their agency of record who would then, who, who would then, who we would work with and, and that was a very lengthy process. So, so, so we, we, we struggled with that and that's when we were like, right, how can we, like, what can we do? to change that and, and, you know, these large, like a Ford, for example, we'd go to Ford and say, Hey, you know, we know that there are 20,000 people in, in North America that are looking to buy a new car today. We know who they are on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram, and we can give you those users. You can then follow up with them on, on Twitter, for example, or, or Facebook or, or, or Instagram and, and talk to them and sell the product. 
And when we were talking to these large brands, they're like, we don't do these kind of proactive selling on, on social channels. We do customer support, but we will never proactively sell out to these people, sell to these people. It was, it'd be very much our whole strategy is ads driven. We'd put an ad in front of them, build brand awareness or direct response, and then get them to, to come to our dealership or fill out a request to test drive and stuff like that. That's the process we go through. We don't reach out to individually to people and, and sell a car. It, it just, that just never happens. So, so that was one of the challenge that, that was one of the big learnings we learned uh, end of the first year. Yeah, I, I, I've, I would, it would be interesting if you ever kind of, you know, ended up getting a, an email from Ford saying, Hey, you know, we saw you on Twitter. Yeah. You know, want to buy a car? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, 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 that never works and they would never do it. But to be honest with you, there were few companies um, that were actually doing it, that were using our data to sell, sell it that way. They would not send you an email, but they would reach out to you on the platform and engage with you. Uh, and in a very funny and humorous way, like they would say, like, you know, someone was posted about buying a BMW or Audi, and one of their competitors was a client of ours, reached out to them and say, um, may we suggest uh, uh, you change up the options a little bit? And uh, that was a very funny way of saying it. Um, and that guy actually ended up buying from the partner, uh, from the third third company that reached out to them. But it was... It, it, it was it was great. It works, but the problem is it's not scalable. Like if there's twenty thousand people talking about buying a new car, there is no way you can have like a team of people that are sitting down and just reaching out to them one by one. Um, that's not the model they operate, right? So, so that that was that was the big challenge that we faced. Okay, so just kind of recap: you you so you're all technical co-founders. Mm. Uh, you don't have any sales experience. Uh, hiring a salesperson didn't really work out like you expected. And at the end of the first year, you had about five customers. That's correct. So things things weren't looking great at that point. I agree. Right? Yep. And so, <laughs> so eventually you guys ended up pivoting um, and making you know some some major changes to the the product and the direction you were going in. So, yeah. how long did you continue down this path yeah. before you decided to pivot? We we continued for two more years, and we 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 actually did a mini pivot in there, where I guess I re, I use I use the other word repositioning, um, and basically what what we did was. So we figured out you know when working with these large brands, they would not do one to one sales on any platform. That's not how their model, it's very much brand driven. So we said, all right, how about we do this? How about rather than you know, changing our pitch and you know, ch- building technology that goes and says, you know, not only do we know there are 20,000 people looking to buy a new car today, we actually know that 11% of them are actually parents that are looking to buy uh, um, an SUV or a minivan and they love watching Orange is the New Black on Netflix, for example. So we, we try to profile that buying audience um, using, using technology that we built. So that's, that's how we sort of repositioned. And, and the, then the play was, why don't you use this data for ad targeting rather than following up with them individually? So for example, if you have a new smartphone launch and you're targeting the, the tech audience 
So you can say, you know, this is the audience that is interested in, in a smartphone and they're the, what you call the, like the techie toms or something like that. So you, you go after that audience, put an ad in front of them versus if you, if you are launching a new truck, rather than putting an ad in front of your truck for everybody, once you put this truck ad to people who are likely in the market to buy a car and more likely to be interested in truck. Um, so you put an ad in front of them. So that's where we pivoted. So we basically went from, you know, one-to-one social sales to basically market intelligence and highly targeted ad campaigns. So that's, that's, that's where we pivoted to. And that, we did it for, we did that for a couple of years and it was, it was good. Our business, so the number of customers increased, revenue increased a lot. We got a strategic investment, um, from, from Salesforce. Um, uh, we, so, so that was good. And, uh, we, we did that till end of 2015. So 2014 to 2015, we, we focused on that. Um, but even with that, one of the big things that we learned was two things. A, um, even still when we were trying to sell into the brands, they would move us uh, to the agency to work with them uh, because that's the model. So we could never directly work with the customer. And B, the bigger challenge was um, whenever we worked with you know agencies or in this space, whenever it's it's an ad play, it's very campaign driven. In the sense, you know, they would have a big car launch or new phone launch or something. They would leverage our data, um, run the ad, targeted ad campaigns, and then they would go away. They'd come back six months later for another you know, event or a campaign to run. Um, so they would not have a recurring. We would not have a recurring revenue from these guys. They would not sign up for an annual contract because they don't know how many campaigns they're going to run. So they would not pay for it. Um, so even though we worked with pretty much all the big names out there, you know, household names in North America, it was not a recurring sticky model. So that that's what we continued for two years. Okay. Till we came to this product. Now what we're doing. Okay. So, and and then what drove the this this pivot to where you are today? Yeah. Um, so so you, you explained, I mean, the recurring revenue, was that really the biggest driver that you were just like, hey, you know, we need to kind of, uh, yeah, we need to have predictable revenue coming in um, and we need to provide something that is going to solve a continuous problem that people have rather than, you know, yeah, I might have a big campaign next fall. And so I'll come back and use you guys then. And yeah. that's about it. It's a, to be honest with you, the combination of that and the second thing that you mentioned is that having the same recurring problem, solving it for customers. So I'll tell you the story, what triggered this for us, the pivot. So Q4 of 2015, we had one of our strongest quarters. We booked a lot of revenue. We had like three major companies signed and we had the board meeting and I was super happy and presenting at the end of the, at the end of this presentation, I, I said, you know, this is all great. You know, this is our growth forecast and all those things. But uh, one thing that I wonder is my engineering team or my product team is not very happy. They're not motivated. And um, I don't know what, what should I do. And that's when our board chairman, um, Damien Steele from Omers, he said something very interesting. And he said, you know, the problem is, is not that your team's engineering team is not happy and motivated. The problem is, it's really why are they demotivated? And it is because you do not have one specific use case for your customers that you're serving. They all have a different uh, requests of data that your engineering team is building. 
So you're sort of becoming like a services business where you provide data in an ad hoc fashion. If you're an engineer at a, as a software company, you'd like to be working on product that is serving the, solving the same problem or similar problem for dozens of customers in a repeated manner, not just have ad hoc requests and say, hey, let's build this, let's try that, let's do this. And that's when sort of the, 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 the penny dropped for us and we are like, oh, shit, this, this actually makes sense, that is a problem. And we looked at our customer base and we looked at the use cases, they were all over the place. There were, there were, there was very little, you know, overlap in the use case and the data and, and, and of, of our, of our intelligence. So that's when we sort of said, all right, I think there were, there were, there were, at that point, there were three options for us, to be honest with you. We, we, we did not want to be a zombie startup. We didn't want to just continue be, you know, growing like that or uh, be a services business. We, that was something that was clear in our mind. So we said, you know, there are three options. One is whatever money we have in the bank left, let's give it back to our investors and call it quits. The second option was there were a couple companies that were interested in acquiring us. I would say it would be more of an aqua hire. There'd be a nice press, but it's not, it's not an outcome that we would be happy with. And the third option was basically, you know, figuring it out, figuring something out with the, with the money left in bank and, and give it a go. So we, how much money did you have left in the bank? We had one year's worth of runway. Okay. Yeah. That was uh, early 2016 or end of, so that's what we had. So we had money till December, 2016. And we basically said, you know, we are going to go with the third option. That's what I, uh, we basically told internally. And we agreed that, you know, we have one fight left, so let's go for it. We asked the investors and thankfully all our investors unanimously said, you know, don't worry about it, go for it. Let's, let's figure it. Let's see, you know? Um, so, so that's what we did. And then we went about doing, building the business the right way. Meaning what we did was uh, rather than building a product first and hoping people would come to us, uh, what we did was we took the mentality is like, we're not going to build anything. We're going to first do discovery, figure out you know, if there's a need for it, if they will pay for it, and only then we will build incrementally. So what we did was we interviewed 80 marketers brand marketers that we were working with and said, hey, this is what we are thinking of building. It was around the same space, would you use it? And what we gathered from the data was that whatever solution we came up with or suggested, it was a nice to have. They were like, yeah, this is good. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not really a pain point. That's what they were screaming out at us indirectly. And uh, so we were, we were sort of lost at that point. We didn't know because we were only thinking of the consumer facing world, right? We were always thinking, how can I help the brand manager at Pepsi or you know, head of social at, at Chrysler or stuff like that. We were not thinking it from anywhere else because that's the world we were living in. But then um, fortunately um, uh, in end of December, January, we, we had a BDR person uh, as an intern whose job was to do outbound prospecting for us. Like he was basically building a list reaching out to people to book meetings for myself and, and our salesperson. And, uh, and I was just chatting with him one afternoon and, and I said, man, what are some of the challenges you are facing? You know, is there something that you, what does your day look like? And then he went to the board and he drew this big pie chart where he said, you know, these are his jobs that he does. These are the pains he has with doing those jobs and these are the gains he can potentially have. And, and that's, that was, uh, was, that's when the light bulb went on for us. And we were like, huh, so this guy has this problem. What if we solve that problem for him first? 
with our technology. So rather than finding people who are looking to buy a car, if we could find out people that are looking to buy a specific software, uh, B2B software, um, that would be helpful. So that was our hypothesis. And then what we did was we did it in a very data-driven way this time. So we said, we'll interview 40 or 50 people, I forgot the number, and if 80% of them say that this is a pain point for them, only then we'll go to the next step. So we interviewed 50 people, and definitely 80% of them said, yes, getting relevant targeted leads every day for them is the number one pain point for them. Um, so, so that was the first check. Then what we did was, all right, now we have gotten cleared of the first thing. Let's go back to some of those people and let's get three of them to sign a contract to pay a certain value for our services um, if, if we did it for them. So we went back to them and said, you know, we think we have an early prototype we have built and we'd like you to pay a fee, uh, to try it out and pay a very nominal fee. It was just really like, just to show that they have skin in the game, the dollar value was not important. So we got actually three people saying, yeah, we'll, we'll try it out and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. Um, we actually, but the scary thing is we actually haven't had built anything at that point. But the thesis was we have a solution that would give them every day 10 leads, up, up to 10 leads, I remember, up to 10 leads in a spreadsheet email to them every day um, and they pay and they signed up so that's that's when we said you know this is this is looking interesting we didn't know if this was it but it was more promising than what we had before so we signed up three customers but the problem was we didn't have a product so we basically did it manually yet six seven people and all of us spent all day all like all the time manually going through blogs forums social networks groups job posting sites, I, I don't even remember, uh, to pick up on signals and manually give them these clients the leads delivered to them every day via a spreadsheet uh, for, for, for a few months. This must be a very counterintuitive thing for any developer to do or even want to do. 100%. 100%. But here's the crazy thing, though. All our developers were happy doing this. Then they were building things on a whim. So one of the challenges that we had faced before is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we are not the only company, I'm pretty sure other companies have had the same problem. When you have a bunch of good, smart engineers and data scientists, um, you know, I would go on a sales call in our last product or our head of sales would go on a product and say, you know, this customer or prospect said, if we only added this source or if we added this, you know, comparative graph, they would buy it. And we would hype up the engineering team and they would spend two months building that, adding this new source and all that fancy widget. And, and, and then after two months, when we went back to the customer, the customer was like, yeah, that's great. Thanks for building it, but uh, we don't have the budget. Let's talk next year. So that was soul crushing for our engineering team. So they were happier doing something manually, even though it sucked for them, but they were happier doing manually, knowing that we are learning how customers are going to use it. Because if you knew how how they would use it we can always automate that manual step and that's exactly what we did that's that's exactly the process we went through where in march when we first started selling this product from 2016 it was 100 percent manual by by june it was probably 70 percent manual 30 percent automated and by november it was 100 percent automated so they were happy even though it, it it was a tough thing for them to do but, but they were happier doing this in an incremental manner, knowing they would anything that they built would be directly used by customers, not, not just something I thought would be cool. So 
so that was that, that was the journey what was what was different about this product that you built this time around because it, from what you're describing it doesn't sound that different from the product that you were building in year one which was really about okay let's mine date you know social media data and help generate leads for people so how, how was the product different and and also was it um was it a different set of customers that you were focusing on that helped you to to make this shift yeah 100% so the big difference with 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 this product was we we built this this new product the b2b sales intelligence uh, as with us being the number one customer we were the first customer and till date we are the biggest customer of this product so we would depend on this every day because this was a pain point we had in the last product where we were providing marketing intelligence and audience uh, buyer audience for for large brands we were so disconnected from it right like i didn't really care about the higher consumer trends who are in market to buy a new car or something like that so that was that was a that was the big single biggest difference this was solving a pain point that we had every single day secondly um, the beauty of it is and that's why we kept the name kept the name of the company the same lead sift was we were sifting through data vast amounts of unstructured data to find out signals of intent the big difference being previously it was more for consumer facing products versus this time it was more for software products and there's two interesting key differences here first is people talking about a consumer facing product whether they need a new phone or a car or a house or even a pizza they explicitly talk about it or or there were more direct signals of intent so they would say you know i'm going car shopping so so that is a great signal saying all right this person is definitely in the market and from different attributes we could figure out what kind of car and all those things but in a b2b setting the challenge was clients never say oh i need a new marketing automation software ever no one talks mm-hmm. like that right so the way to pick up on these signals were were very very interesting and that's when we looked at competitors um so so we had to change the technology uh, the, th- the thesis was the same it's still mining for intent but it's how you mine for intent that's different and b what we found out was in a b2c setting there is no nurturing pizza stores don't nurture your leads or a car dealership they don't they they that model doesn't happen they will not send you nurture campaigns or stuff like that but in a b2b specifically b2b software lead nurturing is is very well known and there are very sophisticated methods of doing it through you know marketing automation and and all those things so they they were already doing nurturing whenever you talk about lead nurturing it's always b2b so it was way better fit for them than a car dealership or even jaguar for example or a ford so so that that's that that was a big difference of this product um both the technology and the market that we were going after okay great so so it was like 3 years of basically learning how to <laughs> build the business the right way and the product the right way <laughs> absolutely yeah. um Abs- okay so so this time you know you've you've got uh, you've you're doing the customer development you're getting um good feedback from people you've got some people to you know pay you and and put some uh but you know get some skin in the game as you described mm. and then you guys start building the product and transition from being 100% manual to gradually 100% automated yep and more importantly as you said you were now using 
the product yourself because yep. this was a you know obviously a, a, a powerful way for you to generate leads. Mm. So, uh, if, so when you when you for yourself you generated these leads, what were you doing to go and um, acquire more customers for Leadsift? Yeah, so it was a pretty straightforward process. Our process, what we realized was we didn't have a lot of branding and awareness. So there wasn't a lot of inbound um, and we didn't have a lot of budget to be buying ad campaigns or anything like that. So we had to rely on on the outbound process ourselves because we were sort of starting from scratch. And uh, the the process was pretty straightforward. I was the only sales guy. um, And basically every day at 9 a.m. Eastern, in my inbox came a list of target accounts that our system collected from the past 24 hours by looking at people that were talking to our competitors or, or talking about you know account-based marketing, lead generation, appointment booking, and outbound, and all those things. Like there were a few keywords and things that we were tracking. So basically, we got like I got that list. What I did was I cleaned that list a little bit, make sure that everything looks good. Um, uploaded them into a tool called outreach.io, um, had a personalized outbound email sequence where we, we basically crafted the message to be super relevant with the customer. And we basically send out these emails. And uh, our sales process is we send out these emails, we book meetings from there, from the meetings we do demos, and from the demos, typically within one or two calls, we, we, we close the deals. Obviously, we don't close every one, but most of them close within three to four weeks of us having the first touch. Okay, got a, got a very important question for you here. Sure. Most technical people, most developers, myself included, <laughs> would much rather prefer to do inbound marketing. Just let's, let's figure out how to do content marketing. Let's build a blog. Let's do all of these things so we don't have to go and have a sales conversation with anybody. Yeah, yeah. So why were you willing to do that? Yeah, well, one thing though, Omar, I, I, I fundamentally believe is, you know, you you find greatness when you're in out of your comfort zone, when you're uncomfortable. So that's one thing. I think that's kind of cliched, but that's that's true, right? So I had to get out of my comfort zone of doing sales, doing demos, getting rejected, and then going back again and following up and all those. So that's one. The second most important thing is, and, and I, 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 I believe in inbound and I think HubSpot and those guys are great, but the reality is if you are an early stage startup without a lot of name or you know branding behind it, you can keep writing quality content till the cows come home. You're not going to get that kind of lift in your inbound traffic. It just doesn't happen unless you're spending money on, on distributing it. You can create all the content you want. You're not, you, you, and you will get inbound, don't get me wrong, but not at the level that you want to get to this customer discovery and fast iteration. So you, you, you still need to create content for you know, customer education and all that, but you still need to find a way to get in front of a lot more customers having chats with them. So that's why, that's why for us, and I think for a lot of uh, B2B SaaS companies in the early stage, they definitely rely on, on outbound prospecting. Mind you, there are some companies where the price point is like $5 a month, right? It's a self-serve option. In that case, yes, you don't need a sales. You, I mean, obviously, you will never have a sales process. People will come in, fill out a form, and go. But in, in, in our case, or in any cases where you have a salesperson doing a demo, right, you, you, you cannot just rely on uh, inbound, especially in the early stages, 
when you're as well known as a HubSpot or, or a Marketo or whoever, I mean, at that point, yeah, sure, you have so much traffic, so much brand awareness, events, PR and all that, inbound's gonna happen. But early on, I think you have to do targeted outbound prospecting. Okay, so tell me a little bit about where the business is today in terms of, you know, any numbers that you can share with us. Yeah, so the business is, is going really good. So we it's been... Uh, about 17 months that we've been working on this new product. So we started from scratch. We are at about 105 customers. Um, some of the fastest growing, you know, SaaS businesses are customers of ours. So starting from, you know, Loker, Vidyard, MuleSoft, Yext, some of the big names, they're all customer of ours um, being successful. We are growing the business. Uh, I would say to last, last I saw was about 13% Month over month, we are growing the business. Um, we have one salesperson. We are growing the sales team. Uh, we want to increase. So we have sort of figured out a repeatable, scalable model for our sales. So we want to grow that. Um, we are growing that. We are we are very close to reaching the, the, the I guess, elusive 1 million annual revenue mark. Um, and because our team is, has been pretty lean, um, we are actually very close to profitability, which is also a great point. So So yeah, that's what the business is. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really, I love the story that, Thank you. Uh, you know, especially the fact that you, you went through a process for three years to, to get to, you know, the right business and the right product. And it's, it's so often so easy to, um, you know, kind of give up when things aren't kind of going the way you want them to go. And, um, I think it's it's kind of why when I ask people about, you know, one of the kind of most important attributes of an entrepreneur, people will talk about, you know, persistence or grit or the ability to kind of push through these times. Because uh, as someone once said to me, I said that a lot of the times when you're about to give up, you're just around the corner from getting to where you need to. But yeah. most of us will will give up before we get there. I, I 100% agree, and I'm, I'm, I've been fortunate that I have had great uh, co-founders and team members that have that have sort of believed in the vision and, and stuck or, stuck around and, and supportive investors. So, so I, I, I still think there, there's a there's a long long way to go, but uh, like the way we are building the business, I am proud of the way we are building the business. We are building sort of like a brick by brick, and we are setting one customer after another, learning from it changing the product, iterating on it, taking it to the customers. And it, it, it feels like we're building a real business, not, not a fluke. Uh, well, one quick question on that is, yep. how much does somebody need to be selling their SaaS software for, for, their, for it to make sense for them to use somebody like LeadSift? So what we have seen is any, if, so our sweet spot is companies that have their you know, annual contract value between $5,000 to $60,000. Like that's a sweet spot. If you're, if your deal size is that much, it, it makes sense for, for them to do outbound prospecting, like dedicated team of people that are reaching out, uh, booking meetings and then doing demos and all that. And, and, and as a result, to optimize that process and automate that process, they should, they should use LeadSip. So that's, that's the way we, we look at it. And, uh, yeah. So any basically, if anybody is doing any form of outbound prospecting, means their their deal size is not like ten dollars. It's 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 around you know three to five thousand dollars annually. Um, 
we can definitely help them. Okay, great. All right, let's get on to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. <laughs> I'll try. All right. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? It was it was uh, very early on. I received an advice from one of our investors and advisor. He said, you know, you will get a lot of advice from a lot of people. Um, but end of the day, it's your call. So don't let anyone run the business. You you make the right call. Take all the advice, you know, Take take it and soak it in, but make make the call, final call, yours. Don't don't listen to anyone else. You have to make the right call. What book would you recommend to our audience, and why? Uh, I would highly recommend the Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, I think it has a lot of real life advice and 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 examples from how how difficult running a business is, and from from the front row seat. I think it, it's one of the best books I've read, actually. Yeah. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic uh, in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think there's two. One is persistence. Second is empathy. I think you need both of them. Uh, you need to be ruthlessly persistent about you know what you want to achieve and, and not give up. Uh, and at the same time, you need to be empathetic towards you, uh, your team members and every other stakeholder. So I think those are the two things I would say. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Um, so I, I use uh, I use Slack. Um, that's a good tool, and and I I, I was using um, sticky notes really to do what what I needed to do. I've switched now to Trello to keep track of things that I I have to get done in a day. Great. Uh, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? You know, I, I always come up with ideas, but because I am doing leads, it's all my ideas are related to my to my field and, and what we are doing. So there, there are a few interesting things. One, one of them particularly that we are looking at very closely is, so right now we help companies identify target accounts to go after, but let's say I'm selling to Pepsi, for example, um, and I'm selling to marketing within Pepsi. What if there is a way to score the people within the marketing department of Pepsi and saying, you know, these are the, this is the person that you should reach out first within Pepsi compared to the other person based mm-hmm. on some, some, some attributes. So people do lead scoring. Lead scoring is very much at the level of an account. What if you could do lead scoring at the level of a person? And that's what we are looking at actually. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, I don't, I don't know what, what would be a fun fact. Interesting fact is um, I am originally from, from India. I don't know if that's interesting. I'm a huge fan. I probably, I'm the biggest fan of John Stewart. And uh, so that's, that's an interesting fact. I'm right. a John Stewart fan. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Lately, it has been uh, hiking. So I've been, because the weather's nice and, and Nova Scotia has so many beautiful trails and hikes, uh, I've been I've been doing that a lot. Awesome, uh, Takant. Thank you for for joining me today. I, I enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I loved hearing your story on how you guys kind of started from one day playing around with the Foursquare <laughs> and Twitter APIs to to where you are today, and the sort of the the roller coaster ride that you've had. Um, now, if people want to find out more about LeadSift, they can go to leadsift.com. Yep. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can send me an email at 
tdas.com. That's T-D-A-S at leadsev.com. Um, I, my Twitter handle is T-D-A-S um, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Just search for Tukan Das, T-U-K-A-N-D-A-S. Uh, happy to t- chat with you guys. Um, if, if there is any advice or feedback that I can give to you guys around sales processes or outbound prospecting in an early stage or even in a mid stage, um, I'm always there to help. Awesome. That's great. Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Omar. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can get to the show notes as usual by going to thesaspodcast.com. If you need help building, launching, and growing your SaaS business, go check out SaaS Club at sasclub.co. Registration for new members isn't open right now, but you can join the waitlist and I'll let you know when registration does open up again. And if you want to show your support for the show, then consider leaving a review on iTunes. I love to read those reviews and it really makes a difference in terms of helping the show get discovered by more people and inspiring me to keep creating this free content for you. So if you're not already in iTunes, just go to thesaspodcast.com and click the iTunes button and that will get you to the right place where you can leave a rating and review. So thanks for that. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care.